You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast paced. Let's not act like Bruce Arians got Tom Brady there. Let, let's let's not do that. Opinionated. I wanted Tom Brady to stay because I feel he deserved to retire a Patriot. I felt he was owed that. To the point. Cam is going to a place that is rebuilding or he's hand-holding for a younger quarterback. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas here on the Brady Farkas Show on this Wednesday on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Wow. Today has been just something else. Today has been something else behind the scenes here at WDEV. This show, we've had it planned like it feels like all day. And then we just kept adding to it. I'm like, I, I don't know how we're going to fit everything in in 90 minutes. And we do have a full 90-minute show today, completely booked. A ton to get to on Cam Newton, the conversation surrounding him possibly coming back to the Pats. We get some commentary on Red Sox spring training. Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio drops by in 15 minutes. And we do have some good local news in that former UVM hockey star Dominic Ducharme, who graduated back in 95, has been named the interim head coach of the Montreal Canadiens after they fired former Bruins head coach Claude Julien. We're efforting somebody still north of the border to get some commentary on Ducharme getting the job in Montreal. And also Ross Colton, who we had on the show on Friday, former UVM hockey player now with the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's got his first career NHL appearance today and... He has his first career NHL goal. Congratulations to Ross Colton, who scored his first goal in the NHL in his NHL debut. So kudos to him, friend of the show. You can always get in on the Napa Waterbury, Napa Morrisville text line, 802-585-3026. Text line numbers have been huge the last couple of days. Let's keep it up. I understand a lot of you have been commenting on the Jacob Grout situation. We will continue to follow that. I promise you I will follow up with Harwood, and we can do more on the story from their side if they are willing to speak. But uh, today we pull it back to a more local and regional standpoint as well. So guys, let's get right to it. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. All right. Opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Vermont's most complete Locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Swanton, Middlesex, and St. Albans. And online at sticksandstuff.com. All right, this was the sound last night. The Celtics in heartbreak yet again. Doncic with six and five and four and three to his left. Pulls up from the hash mark. It's good! It's good! With a tenth of a second remaining as Doncic nails the game winner. And the Mavericks will win it 110-107. to Mavericks beat the Celtics 110-107. And in doing so, they send the Celtics to under 500 at 15-16. and 15 and 16 for the Celtics. This team went to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. I can't believe I just said that. 15 and 16. First off, Luka Doncic is amazing. 
put that over here in its separate category because he's unbelievable. The shot he hit last night to win the game on Aaron Neesmith was out of this world. The shot he hit just prior to that on Daniel Tice was out of this world. So Doncic is amazing. But on the Celtics, 15 and 16, they're losers of seven of their last 10. And it's another bad loss for the Seas. They blew a 24-point lead on Sunday to a sub-500 team in New Orleans. And then last night, they lose to a Mavericks team that doesn't play with Kristaps Porzingis. I keep saying that the Celtics have valid reasons for their instability this year. They haven't played together very often. Marcus Smart is still out. But when I look across the way at other teams... And I see J.J. Redick was ejected from Sunday's game, and the Celtics still found a way to lose. And Porzingis doesn't play yesterday, and the Celtics still find a way to lose. It's a lot harder to give the Celtics that excuse and that benefit of the doubt. Just because they aren't playing with yesterday Marcus Smart. They had Kemba Walker. They had Tristan Thompson. They had Daniel Tice. They had Jalen Brown. They had Jason Tatum. The only one they didn't have was Marcus Smart. And... The other guys played without Kristaps Porzingis. You can't just give the Celtics a pass because they're not playing together. Not last night, not Sunday. I've been willing to do it. I can't do it lately. Look, this isn't rock bottom for Boston. This is a weird year in the NBA. Yes, they're 15 and 16, but they're only three and a half games out of second place. So they could go on a stretch and win nine of 10 and all of a sudden be right there. So this is not rock bottom, but like they're not a baseball team 18 games back at the All-Star break. They're a team that is struggling, that is stubbing their toe repeatedly, but is one good stretch away from being right back in it. And that's what makes them so vexing is that you can envision in your mind that kind of run happening. And look, let's not go any further here. This is not a Brad Stevens problem. Celtics Twitter is insane about this. Celtics Twitter thinks Brad Stevens is the problem in Boston. He's not the problem. As far as I'm concerned, this is a Danny Ainge problem. Danny Ainge put this roster together, and this roster is lacking in reliable depth. This team has two and a half superstars right now. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and half of Kemba Walker, who doesn't play every single game. And I've said all along, it's hard to win in the NBA when your best player is 22 years old, which Tatum is. It's hard to win. Look at the Phoenix Suns. They've been a darling of this COVID season. They have all the kids. DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker's amazing. They have a lot of great young players. Why are they good this year? Chris Paul, Jay Crowder are there. That's a huge reason why. And Paul being there, that's next-level reasoning. Veteran presence. Have all the kids that you want, but you need true veteran players there to lead the way. Okay, I thought not figuring out a way to retain Gordon Hayward was a problem for the Celtics. He would have been that third or fourth superstar and would have brought the veteran presence they need. It was a problem, and they didn't have a plan for after Hayward left or for if he left. You're not losing Hayward and replacing it with Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard. It's just not happening. And on this note is where I have to put some blame on Kemba Walker. And I like Kemba Walker. I like Kemba Walker a lot. And look, his play is his play. I understand he's gone through some rough shooting spells this year. I trust that Kemba Walker will know how to put the ball in the net come June. I trust that. 
where I'm disappointed in him is when you have a team and you're playing like he played yesterday and like he played Sunday, when you can get to a 24-point lead against the Pelicans and then you blow it, that's not a Brad Stevens problem. That's a player's problem. That's a players-on-the-floor problem, and the senior-most leader on the team has to take the bull by the horns and get everybody pulling in the same directions. You've got to be able to finish, and that's where Kemba Walker, I think, is lacking right now. As the veteran spokesperson for this team, he needs to be able to get this team to close. Because if they can build a 24-point lead with Brad Stevens, it's not all Brad Stevens' fault that a 24-point lead gets blown. Danny Ainge hasn't, did not have a plan for Gordon Hayward leaving. That's a Danny Ainge problem. When the players on the floor repeatedly fall flat in the fourth quarter, I think that's a killer instinct problem, and the veteran leader on this team, Kemba Walker, needs to be the guy with that killer instinct. He needs to be the guy grabbing people and leading them. Leading them. Marcus Smart, I think, is a huge veteran leader on this team too, but Kemba's been in the league for a decade. It's his job. I've said forever, Jason Tatum is the best player on the Celtics. Kemba Walker is the most important because of that leadership. Jason Tatum at 22 should not have to be your best player and your team leader. Kemba Walker doesn't need to score 24 a night right now. He needs to be the veteran presence that this team is lacking, especially in the clutch moments. When he's out there, that is his responsibility. Tatum and Brown, they can score. But Kemba's the guy who can help keep the mindset right, keep up the defensive intensity, get everyone into good shot situations. That's a Kemba issue right now. And as much as I love Kemba, the veteran spokesperson here has got to help rectify this. Firing Brad Stevens isn't the answer. Who who do you want? Who is available that you want? Who is available? Text line, anybody? Oh, no, no, there's no one available. There's nobody better right now that's available than Brad Stevens that you know and have heard of. The NBA is full of retread coaches. It's a very incestuous business. It's a very incestuous uh, hiring process in the NBA. Brad Stevens right now is the head coach, and it's not his fault. His teams have largely overperformed in the entirety of his tenure here. Save for one bad apple in Kyrie Irving, his teams have always outshot their coverage have always played above their level. Brad Stevens doesn't not know how to coach. This team doesn't know how to finish. Why? Danny Ainge got let Gordon Hayward go. Danny Ainge doesn't have, right now, enough veteran presence on this team. And Kemba Walker is not pulling his weight as the leader of this team. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We talk about killer instinct for the Celtics. They have already lost more games when taking a lead into the fourth quarter this year than they did all of last year. This team hasn't been able to finish. All right, we haven't done this in a while since football season ended. We've been so busy bebopping around with everything. It is a Wednesday, so uh, let's get to some midweek questions. Midweek questions. Midweek questions on the Brady Farkas Show. I'm excited for this one. This one comes from Mike Greenberg of ESPN Radio and longtime ESPN Mike and Mike personality. Listen to what he had to say about the idea of having fans in the stands. Mike Greenberg does not miss having fans in the stands. Do we have that audio, guys? Mm, Okay, we don't have that audio right now. Well, there you go. Mike Greenberg doesn't miss having fans in the stands. So, question. Do you miss having fans in the stands? Um... For me, I do. 
I absolutely miss having fans in the stands. I think the players are getting used to it. It doesn't take the brain very long to adjust to something as normal. So I think players adapt to it. And even as a fan, I do think Greeny is right. I don't notice it as much because TV has done a good job making it feel normal. But I miss the feeling of full crowds. I miss a crowd giving the guy the business in a road stadium. I miss the way a home crowd feels after a huge win. I miss the emotion even of a bad loss. I miss going to games and high-fiving the random guy next to me. The players are so driven, and they do such a good job of motivating themselves. But nothing motivates you like 40,000 people one way or the other, or 20,000 people right on top of you in an NBA or NHL arena. Nothing motivates you like that. And don't forget that even though it's normal for us on TV, being in a crowdless stadium is weird. I think back to what Evan Washburn told us. Evan Washburn of CBS Sports, sideline reporter, for the NFL, this is what he told us about Patriots' bills early on in the NFL season, no fans in Buffalo. Absolutely eerie. Uh, I've come up with multiple descriptions for it. Uh, at times it feels like we're producing a commercial because everyone's in their full garb, but there's no atmosphere around it. Uh, the best way I think I've sort of heard it described actually by uh, my teammate Ian Eagle, no longer when there's no fans are you necessarily covering or broadcasting an event. It's a game. It's, it's strictly a game. So it felt like we were producing a commercial. Yes, I miss fans in the stands. The players, I think, have adapted. I think they are motivated enough that a lot of them have been able to get around it or at least get used to it. We've gotten used to it on television. It does not mean, Mike Greenberg, that I don't miss it. I do miss it, and I miss it in a huge way. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right. I don't think the Celtics have a Brad Stevens problem, but am I wrong? ESPN radio host Freddie Coleman is going to stop by to give his opinion next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. One of the nicest guys in sports talk radio and one of the smartest. We thought the Patriots, that they're very good at keeping information from getting out. They're better than the FBI and the CIA. It's time for our weekly conversation with ESPN's Freddie Coleman on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back to the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Joining us now as he does every single Wednesday at this time is our guy Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio. Freddie, thanks for being with us, man. As always, how are you? I'm good, brother Brady. How's everything with you? Everything is good. I have a question, uh, a little lifestyle question for you. So, this right. I am 31 years old. I don't think that I have untied my shoes to put them on in like a period of years. I just contend. I just keep keeping my shoes tied, ramming my wiggling my foot into them, breaking the back of my shoe. But rather than step down to untie them and then retie them, I'm too lazy to do that. I'm finding out I am not in the minority on this one. A lot of people are acting like I do. So my question to you is, do you untie your shoes and retie them upon putting them on every single time? All the time because just like Lieutenant Dan told Forrest Gump, take care of your feet. And I don't know if that's a good idea when you guys are doing just ramming your foot and putting that kind of trauma on your toes and your arches and everything like that. But I want to make sure that when I take my shoes off, it's a comfortable feeling when you untie them. And when I tie them, I want to make sure that they're exactly tied properly. 
this way I'm taking care of my feet. But, hey, if you guys want to continue to do that, go right ahead. I need a pair of slippers or something, Freddie. That's what I need. What you need is stuff with Velcro. This way you don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. I need some Velcro. <laughs> hey, uh, let's move to the Celtics. That's where I started the show a little while ago. They're 15-16. and 16. They lose last night to mm-hmm. Dallas. Luka is a bad man. But outside of that, what do you think the issue in Boston is? Boy, Brady, that's a really good question because I've been trying to wrap my brain around that for more than the longest time with a team that has the kind of ability. And I just wonder how much of that is that they are waiting for the playoffs. And when you you can do that if you won a championship or if you're a team that has been in the NBA Finals, this is still a, a really young basketball team in terms of playoff experience, in terms of games experience. And I know that they have Kimball Walker and Kendrick Perkins with hard on him think, saying that he is a liability more than an asset to this basketball team. But I wonder how much of the fact that they know that they're close and they know that they have the ability to go on a great run in the playoffs. I wonder how much of this is that they're waiting for the playoffs to start and then they can turn it on. You can turn that switch on if you were the Golden State Warriors when they were ruling the roost in the NBA. You can't have that mentality if you're the Boston Celtics being a relatively young basketball team. Do you think it's a Brad Stevens issue? Because Celtics Twitter believes it's a Brad Stevens issue. Well, Celtics Twitter believes everything that's wrong with the Boston Celtics is a Brad Stevens issue because I think a lot of people believe that you can find a better coach than Brad Stevens. I'm not going to say, Brady, that they're wrong, but whoever's better than Brad Stevens out there is already employed by an NBA basketball team. So they need to let that balloon go from that standpoint. I think it's really a collective thing. Brad Stevens has to be a better coach, but players have to make better plays. We can try to make this as complicated as possible, but it comes down to this. Either you make shots or you miss shots, or you keep a team from missing shots, keep a team from making shots and make them miss shots. Last night, they had two opportunities to make sure Luka Doncic could make a shot, and he, as glorious as he is down the stretch, was able to do that. You hear it all the time from people, Brady, that the NBA is a make-or-miss league, and right now we're seeing way too many misses in key situations in Boston and not enough makes. That's what it comes down to. Now, if they were making shots, if people were making shots, we'd be having a different conversation. But it's not just a Brad Stevens problem. It's not just a player's problem. It's not just a Danny Ainge problem. It's a collective problem that they have enough in them to figure it out. The question is, will it be too late when and if they do when it comes to this season? Celtics broadcaster Mike Gorman says he blames Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown as being the stars of this team. He thinks it's on them. Do you buy that? Absolutely, because these two guys are two of the best wing players in the NBA. It's one thing to think you can be the man, and it's another thing to to accept the responsibility of doing that because that's where this team has to go. I know Kimball Walker was the man when he first got to Boston and when he was at the Charlotte Hornets, but that can't be the case now. He has to be a complimentary piece to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So if both of these dudes believe they can't be the dudes together or one has to step forward above the other, then they better be able to figure that out. But I think Mike Gorman is spot on. In a superstar league, you need your superstars to carry the weight. You need your superstars to be the answer to a lot of problems that teams are going to throw at them. And we've seen what the Brooklyn Nets have been able to do. They have three answers, known as James Harden, also Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant. I believe the Celtics have two answers, but right now, if you're Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you got to straighten up and make that work because there are a lot of expectations. You can't just say, well, we're too young to do it. 
this is what you wanted, so you're going to get it. Now you have to deal with it and try to make it work. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio host. You can check him out tonight, 9 o'clock, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I want to move over to the Patriots. Really interesting stuff this week from Cam Newton on the uh, Brandon Marshall-led podcast. Says, hell yeah, he'd come back to the Patriots. Do you think Cam should want New England over any other potential opportunities? I think he clearly should because I go by what he said in that podcast where he said, yeah, I've had a, a year to understand the system and understand everything. And hopefully, and he said, oh, hopefully COVID, COVID-19 won't get in the way of what he felt he was developing a rhythm last year with this football team. The Patriots may be the best place for Cam Newton in terms of being the starting quarterback because I don't believe anybody else out there is going to give him that opportunity, even if they have any kind of quarterback issues or quarterback questions. They don't believe that Cam Newton is going to be the answer to those quarterback questions. So if you're Cam Newton, I clearly understand why he's doing this, why he, why he's laying this groundwork to let people know that I don't want out of New England. I'm hoping that they don't want to run away from me or send me away because they represent the best opportunity for him to not just be a starting quarterback but maybe be a successful quarterback and be a lot better than they were last year. Now what the pages are going to do are two different thoughts when it comes to what Cam Newton wants and what they're going to do. But the fact that we haven't heard anything about the Patriots not wanting to resign him or wanting to resign him, I think the less you hear may be better for Cam Newton. That means the New England Patriots are thinking about maybe bringing him back for another year. My gut tells you that they're not going to, but I don't blame Cam Newton for putting that out there to say that, yeah, why would I not want to come back here? Because I really enjoy playing for Coach Bill Belichick, and this gives me the best opportunity to be a starting quarterback or at least be a quarterback on a roster in the National Football League. You know, Cam said that the coronavirus really set him behind. Former Pets tight end Christian Fourier said that was an, was an excuse. Which side do you land on? It is an excuse. I don't have any doubt about that because if you're going to be a leader of a football team, you have to find a way to overcome. And I get it. COVID-19 is nothing to play with because we don't know exactly how that adversely affected him and other players that got in contact with COVID-19 when it seemed like the New England Patriots were finding their sea legs from that standpoint. But nobody wants to hear any excuses, especially when it comes to that organization. The Patriots have never been a believer in excuses. Either get it done or get gone. That's been their mantra ever since Bill Belichick and Tom Brady were together for 20 years before Tom Brady left to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They don't want to hear anything about this and that and what kept you from doing it. If you are not able to do it, then they're going to find somebody else who is going to be able to do that for the New England Patriots. They are not interested in any kind of excuses being put out there, no matter how much that it may be correct what Cam Newton had to say. You know, I, I, I'm all in on Cam. I've been drinking the Cam Kool-Aid since he got to Foxborough. I do think it's a valid reason. I don't think it's an excuse. I think it's a valid reason, Freddie. And he, he, during the year he didn't say that, I do think it's okay to look back at the season and say you were impacted by it. He never once made the excuse during the year, though. I get it, but you know what? No one wants to hear that because, for example, Aaron Rodgers tried to make excuses when Green Bay didn't play well against Tampa Bay. Nobody wanted to hear that either. And he has a lot more equity in the National Football League as a quarterback than Cam Newton. So I understand why Cam Newton put that out there. And I don't blame him for putting it out there. But it's going to be regarded as an excuse to me. He was definitely telling the truth, and he took us behind the curtain from that standpoint. But when you're a part of that organization, when you're part of a championship organization, even post-Tom Brady, that organization didn't put that out there. I didn't hear that from Bill Belichick. I didn't hear that from any other player about COVID-19 messing up our rhythm other than Cam Newton. And that's why I regard that as an excuse. Now, maybe at six or seven other players that say, yeah, Cam Newton's exactly right, then we're having a different conversation. But he's the only one that put that out there about COVID-19 taking this team out of their rhythm, taking him out of their rhythm, 
And that's why it's regarded as an excuse because I didn't hear that from 52 other players that had to deal with a lot of that and all of that with the pages last year. The only thing that Cam said that I didn't like in the podcast, and I've listened to nearly all of it, is he says he thinks he'd be better if the team had an offense built around him. Isn't that what they did last year, Freddie? Yeah, exactly. That didn't make any sense to me because Cam Newton, they built an offense tailored to your strengths, but they were not the ones telling you to throw interceptions or falling the football late against the Buffalo Bills or missing wide-open receivers time and time again. So you can't put that out there if you're Cam Newton because at that point, I'm looking at you with side-eye if I'm Josh McDaniels, the offense coordinator, and Bill Belcher, the head coach. I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. We always tailored any kind of team to the strength of who our players have been. If we were predominantly a running football team at times, you saw with Tom Brady, then they're going to run the football. If we could be a blitz-heavy on defense because we had the kind of playmakers to do that, then that's what they did. They knew exactly what his weaknesses are and what his strengths were going to be. So they tailed the offense to the strength of Cam Newton. Now, I know it didn't work out the way that he believed that it should have worked out, but you can't place the blame or try to throw that kind of blame that way for things not working out on the fact that they didn't put an offense around you because they clearly did that. If they didn't want to do that, he would not have been a starting quarterback with a page at any time last season. They would have had Jared Spinner be the starting quarterback. They would have been able to live or die with whatever the results were going to be, just like they did with Cam Newton, making sure this offense is going to be Cam Newton-centered around him. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio host. You can check him out tonight, 9 p.m. Freddie and Fitzsimmons right here on WDEV. Uh, Freddie, we'll let you go. Just more with an observation than anything. Really enjoyed your coverage yesterday of the Tiger Woods story and enjoyed the angles at it uh, that, that you and Ian came at it from. Um, it was a, a day full of stories and updates and breaking news, and you guys continue to get breaking news on your show as well. I thought you guys did a great job. We appreciate that, Brady, because no matter what happens, we're always going to be upfront and we're going to be the best people that we can respond to something like that regarding Tiger Woods. And I was just recounting my experiences of what I was able to see on TV and hear what he had to say in terms of interviews and trying to digest all of that with a horrific accident that happened. And the one thing I want to stress to people, it's not about Tiger recovering to get back on the golf course for our entertainment. It's about Tiger Woods getting back into the game of life when it comes to being a dad and, and being a boyfriend to the girlfriend that he has or being the son to his mother. To me, Brady, that's more important if Tiger Woods ever picks up a golf stick. If he wants to pick up a golf stick and just hack around with his son and his daughter, I'm all for it. But I don't care if he ever comes back to the PJ Tour or the Seniors Tour, whatever that's going to be. I'm more concerned about the person, how he's going to live his life, because this is not something that's just going to go away no matter how long of a road of recovery that it is going to be for Tiger Woods. Well said, as always. Freddie Coleman, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, 9 p.m. tonight with us always at this time on a Wednesday. Freddie, we appreciate it. We'll do it again in seven days. Sounds good, brother Brady. You take care and continue to be well and be safe. Bye, right, you too, Freddie. Man, I appreciate you. Always appreciate Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio. If you want to get in, you can on the Napa Morrisville text line, 802 585 3026. Couple messages coming in saying, Love Freddie. Interesting take on the Celtics. The thing, one of the things that was most interesting, we will do our takeaways with Freddie, and the staff is already working on cutting up the interview here. Um, Wondering if the Celtics are just kind of waiting for the postseason. Are the, are the Celtics bored by the regular season? They shouldn't be. Like Freddie said, they haven't won anything before. They haven't won even the Eastern Conference and gotten to the finals. So I don't think that they're in a position to look past the regular season. I understand we all want to play for a championship, but this idea that you can just turn it on and off, some teams can. This team isn't good enough to just turn it on and off, okay? They've struggled to close out games in the fourth quarter. When they try to – when they – Turn it on and off, 
they blow the game or they can't get back into the game. So, no, it's an absolute problem for the Celtics. And uh, if Freddie thinks that they are looking past the rest of the regular season or looking past this regular season to this point, that is a uh, that is a major indictment of the organization. And I would lay some of the blame on Brad Stevens there. Again, I would not fire Brad Stevens. I think those of you that want Brad Stevens fired are crazy. But if this team is not motivated to play in the regular season, I would say Brad Stevens does have some culpability there. We'll do our Freddie Coleman takeaways after the other side of the top of the hour. But first, when we come back after the top of the hour update, Cam Newton, COVID-19, is it an excuse for his poor play? I don't think so. I just told Freddie that. I'll tell you more on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast, brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center, with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online always at sticksandstuff.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back, Brady Farkas Show right here, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. A couple of texts coming in on the Napa-Morrisville text line, 585-3026. Ralph out in New York says, I disagree with Mike Greenberg. Fans are everything. I agree with you as well. You can subscribe to the full show podcast for the Brady Farkas Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's all thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. So we'll get to our Freddie Coleman takeaways in a little bit here, but I need some participation here on the text line for this one. Is Cam Newton using COVID-19 as an excuse for his poor play this past year in New England? Now, Freddie Coleman just told us that, yes, he thinks he is using it as an excuse. Here is what Cam had to say about contracting COVID last year. Okay, I used the analogy today. So, from Atlanta, Georgia originally, right, I'm coming to Miami. I was driving to Miami, two different cars. Everybody's on the same wave. I'm following this car, right? I make a phone call to the front car and say, hey, I got to get some gas, but y'all go on. Boom, they still gone. I get some gas, get some food. Stop by McDonald's, whatever. There you go. But they're, but they're gone, right? And then by the time I get back on the road, I'm behind. I have never thought that Cam was using COVID-19 as an excuse. It's just a reason. Reasons can be valid. Reasons can absolutely be valid. All season long, he never blamed the virus. He never used it as a way to get out of his poor play. I think, and then Cam also said that where it really hurt his development was learning everything pre-snap, like learning how to diagnose things at the line of scrimmage. I think we knew that. Cam is just confirming what we knew. It's not an excuse. First off, we want athletes to be honest, and then we crush them for being honest. So I hate that pastime among fans and media members. We wanted Cam to be honest, so here he is, he's being honest. And I appreciate his honesty. And I don't think it's an excuse. I think it's a valid reason. Cam says, look, I get sidelined. Everybody else keeps going. Now we got different terminology. We got new plays. It is hard to catch up. And Cam says that pre-snap, he was really, really impacted by everything. And again, that's just confirming to us what we already knew. When I did the podcast with Doug Flutie all season long, he said that to me multiple times. Like, look, this is Doug Flutie back in November 
talking to me about Cam pre-snap. And I know I, I'm processing all that and bang the ball thrown with confidence. You throw it on time with confidence and you know. And Greasy was indicating early in the game last night that they can't do some of the things right now with Cam that they did with Tom. Protection-wise, uh, read-wise, he's just not quite there yet. You know, it's the first year in an offense. And it's, it's not the stuff that he did his whole career. Cam's not processing things well yet. That was November 11th that Flutie told me that. November 11th. Flutie told me that. I mean, and here, here's Flutie again. This is early, this is even before that. And when you're when you're indecisive, when you're unsure of what you're seeing, uh, you're a fraction late with the ball. You're inaccurate with the ball because you're not committing to a throw. So, what is Flutie telling you that he saw multiple times this year? Cam was struggling pre-snap to diagnose things. Cam is just confirming what smart football people already knew. It's not an excuse. And it's not that Cam is too dumb to learn these things. It's that Cam was set far behind, and he was set far behind in an offense that he's not familiar with. Look, he said all year that he was doubting himself at one point. He said that um, – he also said in this podcast – He's always been an improv player. He gets to the line and he just makes something happen. He was good enough and athletic enough to do that in Carolina. It wasn't the case this year in New England. He wasn't able to just hike the ball and go backyard style. It was forcing him to have a new skill set. And new skill sets don't come overnight. And when they do come quickly, they generally are accompanied with a full off season. And Cam didn't get that either. Cam saying that COVID impacted his season or the trajectory of his season, it's not an excuse. It's the truth. And he should be applauded for saying the truth. And again, I talk about it being a a, a new system to learn and how hard it is to learn the Patriots system. Here's a name you don't know. Kyler Kerbison. He was a former all-conference offensive lineman at Tennessee. I spoke to him recently. I put it up on the podcast channel. I did not air it on the show. He was with the Patriots for a few weeks in 2016 in the summer. Here was his impression of the Patriots playbook. This is a guy who played in the SEC at an all-conference level. And here's what he said about trying to learn the Pats playbook. With every run play that you have, um, I would say probably 20 different run plays, uh, you have a play-action pass off each and every run play. Wow. So they set it up to where no matter the formation, you don't exactly know if it's going to be a run, if it's going to be a pass. Um, And it was definitely an eye-opening experience. Uh, Being at the Patriots, seeing the Patriot way uh, and everything that they do, and it almost made other playbooks seem easy. Uh, The Patriots playbook made other playbooks seem easy. Now, I understand Cam has a decade in the league. This guy was his first first time in the league. So I understand that Cam should be able to pick up more of it. And Cam did pick up more of it. If you don't like Cam because you don't think that Cam is can throw anymore or you think Cam's got an issue with his shoulder, that's one thing. I'll accept that. But to sit here and say that Cam wasn't impacted negatively by the circumstances around him last year – 
I won't accept that. Joe and Williston says, Brady, I agree with you. I'm starting to like the idea of bringing Cam back next year with a full year in the system. I'm agreeing with you also. Cam last year had everything working against him. He gets he gets uh, signed late, no real OT, no OTAs, a, a modified training camp because of COVID protocol. He can't even learn team chemistry with his receivers at the rate that you would want to. Doesn't get a preseason, then contracts the virus, and then is behind the eight ball. And then the Patriots had what you know other teams have to deal with, which is a difficult schedule, and you can't just clean up in the way that the Pats used to by beating up on the division. That didn't happen this year. Pats went 3-3 three and three against the division instead of 6-0 and oh like we're accustomed to. But stop saying that Cam Newton is making excuses. Christian Fourier, former Pats tight end, Super Bowl champion, he thinks Cam's making excuses. Like the system stuff, they weren't waiting for me, uh, the new terminology. Like, what are we doing here? Are you a quarterback? There's 32 of you in the world, in the world, and you're telling me a, an offensive coordinator adding a couple protections and some new terminology, like, is too much for you? Like, so what are you doing in the league? Does everything have to be red right, cam run right? Red left, cam run left. Red right, sprint out, cam throw left. Like, does everything have to be tagged with your name on it so you know exactly what to do? Like, I'm, so, I'm not giving him a pass for this. Like, it's not a pass. It's an understanding that things, that there was an impact of COVID-19. Again, reasons can be true. It's factual. Cam played well beginning of the year against Miami, played well beginning of the year against Seattle, and then went beat the Raiders and the Pats were 2-1. and one. Then he gets COVID and he was never the same. That is not an opinion. That is fact. They were 2-1. and one. Cam gets COVID, misses the Kansas City game. They go on by, comes back against Denver, and he's never, ever the same. And you know what? For Fourier to say, do you need everything perfect for you? You know what? Yeah, the answer is yes. Cam does need things perfect for him. Now, him to, to mock play calls and stuff, I'm not meaning it like that. But most quarterbacks need perfect situations, need advantageous situations in order to get their goals accomplished. Can Kirk Cousins, did he win this year when Stephon Diggs was traded? No, he didn't win. Things weren't perfect. Kirk Cousins doesn't win. Could Jared Goff win this year when things weren't perfect? Nope. Couldn't overcome his thumb injury to win in the playoffs. Didn't win the division. Nope. Couldn't win without it being perfect. Matt Stafford, we made excuses for him forever about his teammates in Detroit. Couldn't overcome it. He needed things to be perfect. Carson Wentz couldn't overcome it. Why do these guys get excuses? They get things, didn't have a good system, didn't have a good play caller. This guy was injured. One player's injured and we're giving guys excuses, but Cam contracts COVID and can't get the same benefit. Why? He deserves it. It's true. Cam is not as good as he once was. Seven years ago, he could elevate everyone around him where he didn't need things to be perfect because he was the perfect factor. Now he does. And you know what? He's like 20 other quarterbacks in the NFL. Russell Wilson doesn't need perfect. Uh, Aaron Rodgers doesn't need perfect. Tom Brady doesn't need perfect. You know what they have in common? They're Hall of Famers. But Matt Stafford, Kirk Cousins, Alex Smith, those guys need perfect. Cam Newton needs perfect also. 
I'm sorry. It's a valid reason as to why Cam struggled this year. He catches the virus, and he never was the same. Mentally, out of it, physically, you know, behind the eight ball, and now you're playing catch-up in your own mind, and that's never a good spot to be in. And Cam also said that mentally he was shook by the virus just in the sense that he said he was asymptomatic. Now, I thought physically he had some limitations coming back. Cam said, no, I didn't have symptoms. But mentally I was playing games with my own mind as to, like, how should I feel? What's going on? When's it going to hit me? And when you're doing that, when you're second-guessing about your health in that way, do you think it's easy for Cam to just go on a Zoom call and fully grasp everything without seeing it done in front of him? Because I don't. I saw a bunch of texts. Oh, he could have just learned on Zoom. Why didn't he learn on Zoom? Because believe it or not, some people learn by actually doing. And as much as you can intake from a Zoom call, nothing replicates it like seeing it done in full practice. And Cam didn't get it for two full weeks. I'm sorry. It is not an excuse. It is the truth. The coronavirus impacted Cam Newton this year. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, we spoke to Freddie Coleman of ESPN, wrapped up with him about 20 minutes ago, and we talked about the Boston Celtics, and the Celtics lost to the Mavericks last night 110-107, to and Mike Gorman, who's the Celtics broadcaster, said he blames Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown for the team's lackluster season thus far at 15-16. and 16. Freddie Coleman agrees with him. I believe the Celtics have two answers, but right now, if you're Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you got to straighten up and make that work because there are a lot of expectations. You can't just say, well, we're too young to do it. This is what you wanted, so you're going to get it. Now you have to deal with it and try to make it work. Okay, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. Tatum has played poorly, or at least, I'm sorry, has shot poorly from three for the last couple of games. The last 10 games, he's 33% for, 32% from three. So he struggled there. But I'm not willing to blame Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I understand they have big contracts. And with big contracts comes big expectations. I understand that. But we always talk about a veteran presence on a team. We talk about how important those guys are to teams, whether it's Richard Jefferson in Cleveland a couple of years ago, or Andre Iguodala for those years in, in Golden State, or Chris Paul in Phoenix now. Serge Ibaka's had that reputation, I think. It's well established that veterans are important to teams, and they bring a lot to organizations. The Celtics can't count on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to be that kind of leader yet. They just can't. They can be the best physical players. They can be the most important scorers, but they cannot they cannot be the leaders at 24 and 22 years old that you need to win a championship. I said this at the very beginning of the year before the year even started. You can win in the NBA with young players. You cannot win when the NBA, in the NBA when your best player and your best leader are 22 years old. That's not going to work. It didn't work for Philadelphia for all those years that they were trusting the process. It didn't work for Phoenix. It didn't work until you had veteran presences in places you don't win in the NBA. You don't win in the NBA. The Celtics are a young team. Kemba Walker is supposed to be the guy that keeps everything together. He's supposed to be the guy. It's not Tatum. 
it's not Brown as far as I'm concerned. They're not the problem. The roster construction is the problem, and Kemba, in terms of getting everybody on the same page and being that veteran leadership, that's the guy I'm willing to point the finger at. It's not even about his play. It's about just keeping everybody in check and him being the guy who's the motivator on that team, especially in Marcus Smart's absence. Uh, One last note on the Celtics and Kemba. This note from Rick Buecher, who was on uh, something called the Volume Podcast, did you guys see this? Rick Buecher was saying that GMs are ticked eh, off at Danny Ainge. GMs are ticked off at Danny because Danny tried like hell to move Kemba at the beginning of the year, knowing that his knee wasn't right. He was trying to get rid of damaged goods. And that's the issue that Kemba is dealing with. So Kemba was on the trade block. We knew this. But GMs are mad at Danny Ainge for trying to move damaged goods. That could be one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. That could be one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Because why would they be mad? GMs and executives get 900 permutations of trade calls every single month. And they get inundated with all kinds of laughable things. Think about your fantasy football league. There's always that guy who makes the dumb trade offer, and then he makes it in like 74 different ways, and he annoys the hell out of you. That guy exists in the actual league also. So coaches or executives and front office members, they get awful trade calls all the time, every single day. If you don't like Danny Ainge's offer, then don't do the deal. If you do the offer and Kemba fails the physical because he's, quote, damaged goods, then the deal's off. And if you do the deal, he gets the physical and passes and then gets hurt, that's a you problem. That's not a Danny Age problem. There's no need to be mad. If you don't want to do it, just don't do it. And if you think that Danny Age is peddling damaged goods, then don't deal with him ever again if you want. But there's no need to be mad. Just take stock of what he's doing and act accordingly there. But if you got Kemba and he got hurt, that is on you because you would have passed him on the physical. All right, Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, we do it every single day. Who's saying what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? And, and it would be a terrible mistake for Bill Belichick to bring Cam back because Cam can't play football. He just can't play quarterback in national football. They really said that? With all due respect to Danny Amendola, Danny Amendola don't know what the hell he's talking about when it comes to the Patriot way. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's Saying What? Red Sox are down at spring training and former Sox infielder and current Boston radio host and friend of the show, Lou Merloni, says that we need to hear from John Henry because we never hear from the Red Sox owner. So this is this is a problem that he has, and I know he's uncomfortable doing it, but you have to. You only do it once a year. The only time John the ownership sits down and addresses the media in the situation with the Red Sox is once a year, and that is a big problem. It's a whole other discussion because then when you sit down at spring training, it turns into, you know, what happened back in August? What happened back in September? And John's like, what? what? I thought, you know, that was a while ago. And it's like, well, we only talked to you once. We only talked to you once a year, Merloni went on to say. I understand Lou Merloni's frustration. Fans want their teams to be transparent about plans moving forward. And fans like knowing what the organization is doing. Do you want to hear from John Henry, Red Sox owner, this spring training? Already got a text in from a 
let's see, Joel in Marshfield, who says, yes, I do want to hear from ownership on this. The Red Sox have done a lot of things in the last two years that I don't like, and they are hiding. I think he means Mookie Betts and Andrew Benintendi trades and maybe the extension for Chris Sale, which, you know, was uh, before, hard to believe, before two seasons ago. Eh, No, before last season. No, last season it kicked in. That was it. So, um, generally I don't care about hearing from the owner because the owners often detach from the team. There are some that are very involved, right? Like Jerry Jones is incredibly involved, but Mark Cuban is involved. But for the most part, I don't care about the owner. I just would want to hear from the GM or the CBO and that's High and Bloom. So if High and Bloom is transparent and has the freedom to say things about the organization, that's generally the only voice I care hearing from. But in this case, given the nature of the season that we just had and are going to have, I think hearing from John Henry would be appropriate. How much money did the organization lose last year because of the pandemic? How did that loss in revenue impact the team's pursuit of players? The Red Sox shopped in the bargain basement all offseason. I said I thought that was the right thing for them to do. But if they hadn't lost money, would they have, or if they hadn't lost the amount of money, would they have been in the Trevor Bauer sweepstakes? Would they have been in the George Springer sweepstakes? How did the coronavirus impact their offseason plans? He's never, John Henry's never even spoken since the rehiring of Alex Cora. What went into the process there? Were you on board with bringing him back, or did you just wash your hands of it? What's the goal of the organization? Are you trying to win? And when are you going to try to win? Because right now it doesn't look like they're trying to win. So there's a lot of questions that I would have for John Henry, and I think it's fair for Lou Maloney to say, we want to hear from this guy. This is the owner of the team, and we have not heard from him in a year. And that is a problem. I think the last time we heard from John Henry was February of 2020. Like, I think it's more than 365 days. That is crazy. John Henry should be speaking as we hit spring training here. And it's a zoom, like it's all on Zoom now. Like it's even easier to speak to the media. If you truly don't like it or you're um nervous of it, you have nothing to be nervous for. It's all done on Zoom. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. All right. I've defended Cam Newton. Would he be better? If the Patriots designed an offense fully around him, would he be better if an offense in New England was developed fully around him? He thinks so. Do I? That's next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, and streaming on the WDEV radio app. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. Brady Farkas show right here. WDEV, AM and FM, and FUDEVradio.com. The Napa Waterbury text line is open at 802-585-3026. We have been efforting this all day, and I do believe we are going to have it here shortly. In a couple of minutes, Matthew Ross is going to join us from from TSN 690 up in Montreal. He is a Montreal Canadiens insider, and there's been good news on the local front is uh, Dominic Ducharme, the former Catamount hockey star, is named the interim head coach of the Montreal Canadiens because former Bruins head coach Claude Julien has been fired as the head coach of the Canadiens. So Matthew Ross, TSN 690 in Montreal, 
will be with us here in a couple of minutes. So uh, we'll get to him. Uh, again, we've been efforting that all day, and uh, we good job by the staff to make that happen. Cam Newton said yesterday that, hell yeah, he'd come back to New England if they wanted him, and he'd love to play for the Patriots again. Also said that if the offense was developed around him, he'd think he'd be even better than he was this year. Here's Cam, the full quote about coming back to the Patriots potentially next year. Yes. Hell yes. Especially, uh, definitely, with the offseason, you get offseason, you got OTA. Everything. I don't have to ch- – I'm getting tired of changing, bro. I'm at a point in my career, bro, I know I know way more than I knew last year. Correct. Now, you give me what you just said. Yeah. It's, and, a, it's and a different ballgame. It's a different ballgame. Okay. Not even that. A, a system with me. You know what I'm saying? Like, they know me. Doughboy knows me. Jacoby knows me. Bud knows me. The, the young tight ends know me. The younger guys that's going to come in, this is how I can react. Like, we're, we're still trying to flush out the 20 years of how it used to be. So he says that the guys on the team know him. He's referencing the Keel Harry, Demir Bird, and Jacoby Myers. But if the team was built around him or if the offense was built around him, he thinks he would play better. This is one of the only things that Cam has said in his entire Patriots tenure that I disagree with. This was one of the only things I disagree with. I think the Pats did build an offense around Cam's skill set. They let him run. They let him run a lot. They let him run at the goal line. They ran quarterback draw. They ran zone read. And I think they built off it well in terms of quick throwing game and you know the quick throwing game and giving the offense options. So I think the Patriots did a good job at building an offense around Cam's skill set this season. I do think there's potentially two things at play here. I think there's potentially two things at play here. One, I think Cam thinks that he can do a lot more than he was asked to do last season. I do. I think Cam thinks he can spread the field more. I think he thinks he can play a little looser and a little freer. I think Cam is a very rhythm-oriented player. And I think he just wasn't able to get into a rhythm this year. He stated the reasons why, COVID, new system, lack of, lack of trust in what he was doing. And I think the organization sensed, sensed all that hesitation. And with that, I think that they kind of felt like they needed to hold Cam's hand behind his back a little bit. So I think Cam felt very, very constrained in the Patriots' offense. I think he thinks that he can do a whole lot more than he was asked to do. I also think... Not having fans was a huge deal for Cam because I think there were some players in the NFL and sports in general who have excelled with no fans, right? I think there are some that are, it's not soft, but I think they prefer to not hear the crowd. I think they prefer to not hear the jeers, to not have the distractions of signing autographs. I don't think Cam is one of those players. I think Cam is an emotional player and I think Cam thrives on energy and I feel that energy was taken away from him this year and that really hurt his overall swagger so I think when Cam says the offense being built around me I think he thinks that he can do more than he was asked to do in New England and I think that if there's a crowd there and there's more emotion in the building I think Cam thinks he can be very very good next year and you know what I, I think this all really comes down to how healthy is Cam's shoulder. I think that's the only question we have to ask in New England at this point. 
If there's fans in the crowd, Cam's going to be better. That one I feel certain about. If Cam has OTAs, he's going to be better. If Cam gets a, a full preseason, he's going to be better. If Cam gets signed early and has all those things, he's going to be better. If Cam can fully meet with his teammates in a more normal way, he's going to have a better relationship. He's going to be better. Cam Newton's going to be better next year in New England in every single way. The question is, is his shoulder healthy enough to allow him to play the way that he thinks that he can play or the way that he wants to play? That, I think, is the only question. Because mentally, he's going to be sharper. Relationship-wise, he's going to be stronger. Understanding of the offense, he's going to be better. Relationship with McDaniels and Belichick will be better. The only question is physically, how will his shoulder stand up? Dan over in Burlington says, Brady, I agree with you. I think Cam will be back as the quarterback of the Patriots, and I'm not that mad about it. I just want to see them draft someone too. 100%. I want to see the Pats draft somebody also. I still want to see him trade up, and I don't want to see him just give Cam the job. But I want to see Cam have an, have an honest opportunity to win the job. I want to see him have an honest opportunity to win the job. There's been a lot of speculation on where the best place for Cam is. The best place for Cam is in New England. No doubt about it to me. Because of the familiarity with the system. The other thing that I think could be a play when Cam says, have an offense built around me. And again, I said I think they did that. I do think there's potentially here the Pats built the offense around Cam, but they didn't necessarily have the best offensive personnel for a Cam-led system. What I mean is they had the system in place. They let Cam play a way in which he could succeed, but they didn't necessarily have the players that could play that system best. When I think of Cam and when he's at his best, I think of a fast-paced offense that plays with some tempo and plays with energy. Teams that are fast and fun to watch. I think of having athletes, and the Pats didn't really have athletes last year. They lacked a lot of speed, and no matter how creative you are, Josh McDaniels, if you lack speed, you can't be explosive, and the Pats were not explosive last year. It's hard to manufacture 13-play scoring drives, and that's what the Pats had to do. They had to turn the game into a slog. And also, if you're going to run this kind of run-dominant offense with the Pats, then I think you need better blocking tight ends, and the Pats had no blocking tight ends last year. Izzo, Lacoste, uh, Keefe, Asiasi, no one can block. So if you're going to be a primarily run-oriented team, you better be able to block at all levels, and the Pats just couldn't. And I think that's where we're at. The Pats built a system around Cam. The players necessarily they had didn't work in the system. Cam was able to play well in, in spurts. But if the team lacked speed and lacked home run ability, that's the hallmark of what I would think would be a Cam Newton-led offense at its best. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Guys, we got. Let's see here. See if we can grab this. You know what I'm referencing here. So let's see if we can get this again. Good local news today. We're going to talk with Matthew Ross, TSN 690 in Montreal here momentarily. But another good piece of good local news today. Our buddy from last Friday's show, former UVM men's hockey star Ross Colton, he made his NHL debut today. Five o'clock start. 
between the Lightning and the Carolina Panthers. Ross Colton, first NHL game, first NHL goal. Can we find the clip of it, everybody? Let's see what we can do here. Okay, I think we got it. Yep, go ahead and play it right there. Holding on to the puck was Kalorn, leads it for Hedman, who's going to cut in. Hedman all the way around, backhander, they score! What a goal! Puck into the paint, and Ross Colton was ready. Look at him get ready. Gets his stick down slick. First period. So Ross Colton, former UVM men's hockey star, two years in Catamount country, draft pick of the Tampa Bay Lightning, his first NHL game, gets his first NHL goal as the Lightning are playing the Carolina Hurricanes. We'll keep you updated on that one as it gets ready to go final. So very, very cool. That not only the big news in Burlington or big news in Vermont for UVM hockey fans, uh, former Catamount great Dominic Ducharme, who was on that team, with parents, St. Louis, Tim Thomas. He is now the interim head coach of the Montreal Canadiens. And joining us now is NHL expert. We've been working on this all day. We make it happen now. Matthew Ross, TSN 690 up in Montreal. He is a Canadiens expert as well as an NHL expert. So, Matthew, man, busy day in Habs country. Dominic Ducharme is there. We appreciate you. How are you, Matt? I'm good. How are you? Well, good. I, you know, I think a lot of people locally are excited to see a, a catamount now being on the, uh, you know, being on the head of an NF or an NHL bench, um, even if it comes at the expense of a guy that people up here like and close Julian, who was just fired. So let's work backwards here. The Canadians are not a dumpster fire. They're over 500. They have 22 points in that Canadian Northern Division of the NHL. Why was Claude Julian fired in the first place? Well, I think the expectations were were astronomical, particularly after the start that they got off to. Uh, the Canadians were were top of the division, or at least neck and neck with the Maple Leafs for a while, and then things just kind of uh, derailed. Uh, the worst team in the NHL by far is the Ottawa Senators, and the Canadians have had very, very uh, tough battles with Ottawa, including losing the last two games against them. So uh, there there was certainly an appetite to right the ship. Uh, the offense had dried up all of a sudden, and then some of the questionable uh, coaching decisions in the last couple of games, I think, were, was the nail in the coffin. What do we know about Dominic Ducharme from a coaching perspective? He's been in the Canadians organization, as I understand it. He certainly has a history with Canada and Team Canada, but what do we know about him for the most part? Yeah, just a, a quiet, respectable guy. He's coached in the queue. He's coached Team Canada with success as well. And somebody that Mark Bergevin plucked a few years ago and, and stuck on the coaching staff to give them, I guess, a little bit of depth in case of a situation like this. So, you know, Descharm's a seasoned guy. Now he's got a few years under his belt in the NHL as well as an assistant coach. And we'll see if he provides a different voice. You know, I've, I'm always iffy about interim coaches, right? Because they were part of the problem. Um, so, is he a new voice? How much voice did he have in that dressing room? I, I don't know. It's really tough to say, right? Because, you know, Luke Richardson, the defensive coach, calls the, the defensive pairings and so forth, and Claude, you know, matches the line. So um, it's interesting. Obviously, former Habs captain Kirk Muller, also part of the layoff. Yeah, you know, it's and Ducharme's part of kind of the golden age of Catamount hockey that has this rich Quebec connection. When we talk about he was there with Eric Perrin, he was there with Martin St. Louis as well. So, um, the Quebec connection in that time for UVM hockey was big, so it's cool to see it reinvigorated now up north of the border. Um, how much does that matter to have a guy with Quebec roots as the head coach of the Canadians? 
Well, I think it's unfortunately the thing that matters. If you, if you look at the history of the Canadians, they've always had a, a bilingual coach. Uh, even Scotty Bowman could speak some French back in the late 70s. And, you know, when they had one interim head coach that was unilingual English, Randy Cunningworth, uh, the, the French side of the press, or at least I shouldn't say that, I should say some faction of the French uh, press was merciless, is including the fans or some fans as well, that he couldn't address folks in English. But it wasn't an issue with baseball. It hasn't been an issue with the Montreal Impact. So uh, I don't think it should be an issue with the Canadians, but I guess it's just a long-standing tradition that you have somebody that can address things in, in both sides of the, the media in these pressers. Matthew Ross, TSN 690 in Montreal with us here, giving a little perspective on what's happening with the Montreal Canadiens. Let me ask you, how weird is it, by the way, to not have Canadiens-Bruins games this season? Yeah, that's a bummer. It was always something fun to see, and and that extends to the downtown core when you have Bruins fans coming up for the Habs games, it always added something to to uh, to the core of the of, of the city. That's for sure. And, and yeah, it's it's missing Bruins hockey. Uh, I think outside of Boston, that's really the number one um, you know U.S. Uh, uh, city that that Montreal fans miss playing. What is it like having the all Canadian division in the NHL right now? Um, you know, to be honest with you, I feel completely detached from what's happening in Canada right now in, in the NHL as a result of it. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Is that you kind of focus on the teams that they're going to be playing and they're not going to be playing in any of these others unless you win the division and you're in the semifinals of the entire thing. So it really is just focus on the teams that you're going to play. And for the Canadian division, there's seven teams, so you only see six. And the, the battles against Toronto are very exciting for the fans to, to play them 10 times is really just absolutely amazing but you know when you have to play Ottawa that many times too it's kind of boring but I guess uh for Ottawa it's been fun because uh what half their victories or more than half have come against Montreal so it's pretty crazy Matthew Ross TSN 690 of Montreal Dominic Ducharme former UVM hockey player now the interim coach of the Montreal Canadiens replacing Claude Julien former Bruins coach who was just given the axe so Matt man we appreciate you joining us on short notice man and a uh, best of luck to the Habs yeah, absolutely. Thanks. I, I can't believe I just gave best of luck to the Habs. As a Bruins guy, that's how detached I feel from the Canadian Northern Division of the NHL. I just wished the the Habs good luck. Interesting decision there on the decision to fire Julian, by the way. I know they've only won twice in their last eight games, but uh, they're in fourth place. They've got 22 points. They're over 500. So usually when I think of teams firing people, um, you know, they're complete dumpster fires. And while they've been a dumpster fire for the last two weeks or so, Overall, you know, they are having a decent season record-wise, but Claude Julien has had ample amount of time. He's had at least, what, like at least three years there to to get things going. He was, yeah, at least three. Hard to believe that, that, that Bruce Cassidy then would have been in Boston that long as well because he replaced Claude Julien. So good news, though, for Dominic Ducharme to get the job in uh, in Montreal as a Quebec native. Interesting thoughts there, too, on the – desire to have a bilingual head coach or really the expectation that the head coach is going to be bilingual. You know, Felipe Alou is a guy who was a native, uh, a Latino manager in, in Montreal who succeeded to great fanfare and great success in Montreal as well. So um, the Canadians, as Matthew pointed out, are the only ones that really are doing this. And it's very, very interesting to see that. And we know how polarizing, at least here in Vermont, we know how polarizing the battle north of the border can be between the uh, Anglo and the Franco population. So, uh, but Dominic Ducharme, former Catamount, now the 
head coach of the Montreal Canadiens. The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We'll come right back here with my closing thoughts. Former Catamount head coach Tom Brennan on the basketball side talked to me yesterday about bringing in local talent. I'm going to react to his comments on that. That's coming up next right here on WDEV. This is Freddie Coleman of ESPN, and you're listening to Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV and WDEVradio.com. Thank you, Freddie. Brady Farkas Show. Freddie was with us earlier in the show right here on WDEV. If you missed any of Freddie's interview, you can check it out, as always, on the full show podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on our website. It's all thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Um, really interesting stuff yesterday. Because yesterday was so crazy with um, everything regarding the Jacob Grout situation at Harwood, we didn't get a chance to fully react to our Tom Brennan interview. And Tom Brennan, former Catamount men's basketball coach, talked about we were talking about Benny Shungu. We talked about the idea of bringing in local talent. And Tom Brennan said that he will always bring in local talent to UVM if he can. If we can bring in a guy who, you know, people saw play when he was in the seventh grade at CYO, hmm. and now they're watching him play at Vermont, to me, that's a very cool thing. And I would, I would make a mistake on the – uh, side of uh, taking a chance on a guy rather than uh, the other side. I agree with Tom Brennan wholeheartedly there. And there's a couple schools of thought to the idea of recruiting local kids. I had somebody tell me, and I don't remember who it was. I don't remember which coach it was, but it was someone at a, at a lower mid-major, and it was a basketball program. They said they didn't like having local kids because – they didn't like recruiting local kids because they knew there would be fan backlash if the kid wasn't playing. Everybody has huge pride in their hometown stars. So if you have a hometown star and he goes to the hometown school and isn't playing, everybody is going to be miserable. And the coach is going to hear it and it's going to dominate the local media and it's going to take away from the rest of the program. So that one coach, whoever it was who told me, didn't like recruiting local kids. I got to say... I really do identify with what Tom Brennan said there. When I was recruiting, I always thought, when I was coaching college sports, we have to dominate our area. If there's a good player in our area, we have to get them. We must get them. And then we'll go outside. But if there's a local player here, we have to be the program in our area. And in Vermont's case, it's the program for the entire state. I'm not saying build up your entire team with lower caliber players from Division Four high schools. But if you have a kid that is playing well in the state of Vermont, and Benny Shungu in this case was, and Kevin Garrison, who's on the team now, he doesn't play very much, but Kevin Garrison, who was at Burlington, was, then I think that you um, have an obligation you know, to your community to try to bring that guy on if you can. If you're going to be the program for the community, then I think that your fans do appreciate that. And I 100% agree with what Coach Brennan said there. I, I thought that was great. I thought the coach who told me that in his experience was wrong. It's a big deal. There's a huge amount of community pride when you have a guy make it big or a girl make it big. A huge amount of community pride. So if you can translate that community pride into your program, you're going to create interest. You're going to create energy. And if the player is good enough to play, then they'll find a way on the floor. And if they're not, 
then okay, but they're still an ambassador for your program. And you want to treat them right so they are an ambassador for your program. Uh, let's see. We got maybe two minutes left. Is there anything else on the docket, guys, that we didn't get to that we wanted to uh, talk about? Uh, no, not really. We basically hit everything. So I guess I'm just going to kind of wrap it up here. Tomorrow, we're going to have a short show again, about about 70 minutes. We'll go until 645. We'll have girls basketball on the high school side with uh, Linden and Harwood. So they'll come up uh, tomorrow at 645. I'll have Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston. He'll be on as well tomorrow at about 545. We'll talk about the Celtics and their struggles. We'll talk about Cam and his comments. We should have some more reaction from the uh, the crew who cover the Patriots for NBC Sports Boston. They've got a new podcast out on Cam and on the Pat situation. I'm going to listen to that tonight as well. So we'll have a lot of reaction there. And then we'll continue to follow the local scene as we go on. So a lot tomorrow, I think. Not a lot, but some interesting stuff on the Vermont Lake Monsters. We're starting to get more and more breadcrumbs as to what's going to happen for the Lake Monsters in 2021. And... I can't tell you that I particularly like what's going to happen to the Lake Monsters in 2021, at least at my vantage point right now. So we'll talk about that as well. Dinner Jazz with John Wilson is coming up next. And then we'll have uh, Freddie Coleman and Ian Fitzsimmons on from 9 o'clock on with a little break in there for the 11 o'clock news from WCAX. So remember, full show podcast every single day, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on our website. You'll want to continue to download it there. You guys are doing a unbelievable job at supporting this show and we really do appreciate you and the chance to grow with you as well so we will see you all tomorrow back on the brady farkas show and remember you can hammer home the napa morrisville text line 802-585-3026 you can do it all night long and we'll get your uh get your uh thoughts in on the show tomorrow. So that'll do it, everybody. I am Brady. We will see you tomorrow right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Dinner Jazz is up next.